In this episode, we're concluding our discussion on going remote. This is the last episode of season one. Let's just talk about some cool stuff with some cool people. Here we go. Come on, Curry. Woo, let's do it. Okay, here we are at the recording time. We are in finals week of this remote instruction. And looking forward, we are going to be in distance education mode almost completely for the summer and the upcoming fall. Since we all transitioned to an online platform, Lisa, are we all online instructors now? Is that what that means? Did we graduate? <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, what we are at the moment, I think, is emergency remote instructors. You know, everybody had to do it whether they wanted to do it or not. And most people had to do it right in the middle of the semester. I mean, it was almost exactly at the eight, nine week split that, mm -hmm. that they had to go remote. Everybody kind of had a week, two if you counted the break, to get it together. Emergency situation, throwing everything up there, trying to figure out what to do. Um, online teaching is a little bit more in-depth than that. And, and you do both, right? Do you mostly teach online or do you, is it kind of a 50-50 split or? No, it's most mostly online. I do have uh, San Alejo classes. Okay. Uh, and how was it bringing the one, the one or two classes over? You know, I think if you talk to a lot of instructors, they'll tell you it depended on the class. If it was a class that was really rock and rolling before the break, uh, what I've heard is a lot of those people made the transition relatively easily hmm. and that because they were already, they knew each other already and they were in the mode. And if they were doing a lot of class discussion, it was a very active class. It moved online really well. And if it was kind of a class that was struggling already, it was, it was made even more difficult by the online environment. Yeah, for sure. That's my experience. I think that's really helpful actually, Lisa. So, so a rocking and rolling class before going remote, was um, sort of community oriented, There's, knew each other. Um, you said there was a mode, so I'm assuming like a routine, a rhythm, like we knew what to expect week by week, day by day. Um, and there was an active discussion and sort of like those three ingredients uh, translated pretty well to remote instruction. Um, is, that, is that kind of what we mean by online teaching is more in depth, those kinds of elements? Yeah, I think um, developing those cold, if you like, you know, from the start of a course is different than moving something that's already been happening in the classroom environment and trying to move it online. It's just, it's a completely different experience, I think, unless that's been planned in advance. You know, we're going to do half the course together and then we're going to do half the course online. If it's planned in advance, that's one thing. But when it happens in the middle like this, a lot of it really seemed to depend from what I heard from other faculty on on how the class was was going beforehand. Um, but the elements for teaching online when you start from the beginning involve a completely different planning process uh, than, than what we all just had to do. That was, that's been seriously emergency mode. Yeah. Yeah, and more than two weeks, right? <laughs> you would need more than two weeks to design that online class. <laughs> so what's it been like for you, Eric, um, making that switch to the midway point and now finishing out the semester? Yeah, well, I think, I think it was really interesting how, because I've taught plenty of online classes, and then for whatever reason, this last uh, semester, I decided, hey, I'm going to teach all my classes on site, and then this happened, like, halfway through. So, um, wow. So, all these classes that I had been teaching, they had already been prepped out to be taught online, um, and, but they'd also been prepped out to be taught face-to-face. 
And what was interesting is the expectation for the students, right? It, it's not like you can just flip a switch and now the face-to-face the -face class turns into that online class that you had prepped before because the expectation for the students was like you had this trajectory and you had all these different assignments and all these different things that they were already expecting, which actually looked very different than uh, the, the online class. So it, even though, I mean, having taught it before is helpful, right? It made it easier to, to transition. It was still that you're, you're trying to work with students to maintain the expectations of what the course was, right? So when you, you move it over, it's, it's got to be, it can't be a completely different course. So it's like you're, you're reconfiguring these initial assignments that were designed for face-to-face -face and trying to figure out ways to still make it feel like they're in the same class. Um, so it was, it was pretty interesting to see. And then there's different levels of students and, and how they reacted. I think Lisa's right that like if you have a class that's really doing well, then that helps. But there's also, like I had some students who had already taken online classes and then you throw them into the situation not that big of a deal. Um, you had other students who had never taken an online class, you throw them into the situation and it's kind of panic mode. Um, and then there's kind of some in between where it's like maybe they had taken one or two or, or whatever, but they didn't really identify themselves as uh, an online student so much. Um, and those students seem to be pretty okay dealing with everything. So I think a lot of it had to do with how the students were configured. And then also like I, as chair, I, I helped with all of our uh, associate faculty transitioning all these classes because we had 15 different associate faculty who were not teaching um, any online classes for us in uh, communication studies. So what we did is we kind of started looking at different assignments and lining up, okay, this is what it was. Here's kind of what it looks like and what it can be in an online format, which is totally different than the way that you would set up an online class from the start, right? Like mm -hmm. I think maybe the first time you do it, you're like, okay, this is what I was doing before. And now here's kind of a new version of it. But this is pretty different because the students already had like a path and it's kind of how do you make it so that path just looks sort of similar but in a, a new reconfigured way but to still keep that that continuity so i think it's gone well but it's been uh it's been unique right i don't think that i would hope that we're never going to have to do this again right yeah we've talked about this on the podcast before right curry where it feels like it's like two different classes Right. And you got to kind of reestablish that community, reestablish what you're doing in the class, try to make it, you know, as similar as possible. But there's there's limits to that. So it's really just about kind of saying that, no, this is different. So let's go ahead and treat, treat it differently. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after that two week break. Right. We, we, we said it's what we're really doing remotely is reintroducing ourselves to a class we already know both on our side, the instructor and the student side, right? So a new routine, kind of a new space to interact with. Um, teaching online in the fall is going to be a lot different than that, right? It's like, I, I like the, the, the language of a cold start, Lisa, because I think that that's, that's what we really face as online instructors, right? So how do you, you know, like, like, like any comedian warming up, like, like the first thing out has got to be, it's got to frame it, it's got to set a tone, it's got to, there's a, a rapport that's built there. Um, uh, yeah. So um, how about you, Jim? How was, because uh, you teach online and on site, you had both classes. Did you have a hybrid this, this semester as well? Not, not this semester? Oh, okay. I have trouble with this question. There's a part of me that wants to politely pass on it because right now I'm having so much trouble getting through all of the grading I need to do because I'm so interested in getting to rebuilding my courses this summer. 
I think that the defining experience for me has been the way these eight weeks have me rethinking everything. And I think that's really healthy and good for me. I think it's been very, very difficult for the students, though. And so I'm trying to learn from their struggles and trying to reimagine everything I'm doing and really kind of go back to the fundamentals and ask myself, you know, how can I make this better? What do I really want to be doing here? And I'm really excited about that process, but it's making me hard to finish the job that you still need to be done this week. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the you're doing the opposite of what we tried to, you know, encourage everyone to do, which was like, don't try to build an online class right now. This is like survival mode. Do what you got to do to get to the end and make it okay. But yeah, I, you can't help but think like, okay, well, if if I'm doing all of this, why why can't I rethink every single thing that I do, right? <laughs> Well, and I'm hoping there are ways that one thing that will come out of this crisis is a recognition of alternative approaches to online ed that uh, a lot of our state and local online ed leaders have been resisting. For example, the idea that you can have scheduled synchronous online classes. That's something Curry and I have been talking about for years, and I've always thought should be an option for students. Not the primary method of delivery, not the only method, but an option. So if those kind of ideas get some legs out of this, that could be a long-term benefit. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I'm really interested to see how that goes forward uh, because I'm already reading some pushback on that, right? That we should not be leaning so heavily on synchronous. Uh, uh, We're all doing it now. Um, but you know, and, but we're also feeling this sort of Zoom fatigue. So that's one. There's issues of equity um, when we ask for videos to be turned on and things. Um, but but a lot of what I'm reading, I'm I'm hearing more of just this sort of clinging to a traditional online pedagogy or practice that hasn't been inclusive of synchronous instruction. So I'm really interested to see if if there will be just sort of like grassroots, it's no, this works and we just keep sharing this practice and it's effective. So we just keep doing it. Or if there's going to be more of a, a top down sort of, you know, research-based best practices sort of response that comes out. Lisa, do you want to jump in there? I do. I think it may be a little premature to be talking about the way this is going to be when things are more like they were before this started. Mm. I, I'm concerned on a couple of levels. One, the the press towards synchronous, we might want to wait on that. We are still in the emergency. Right. And the emergency itself has put some of our students in a very perilous position with their jobs, while other students are more comfortably ensconced, you know, behind their computer. Mm-hmm. And and that You know, I've had to look at, like Jim says, completely reworking everything. My complete reworking for summer and fall has been focused on uh, massaging or even eliminating as many deadlines as possible because the students who are in the workplace, who are working in healthcare, who are in the grocery stores, who are doing this stuff uh, all the time do not have those malleable schedules. So a lot of the larger things that we're looking for, you know, increased discussion of pedagogy and modes of delivery and all of that stuff, I'm thinking really needs to wait. And that what we need to be focusing on is helping each other 
format something that's in between the ideal online class and the emergency remote instruction that we've been doing. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense to me too, Lisa. I think that I, I was just sort of suggesting that synchronous does not need to be the way, but it's nice that there's a possibility that it can be a way. Yeah. Um, and, and or even a tool in the toolbox of an online course in ways that weren't on the table before. But there's you know, there's no doubt that like synchronous online for some students is an impossibility. Mm-hmm. You know, for a single mom with two or three kids running around an apartment to be able to sit down for two hours and talk with her pals online is actually, in many cases, harder than getting a babysitter and driving to campus. <laughs> so I agree there are huge questions of equity and who it's right for and who it's not. I just yeah. think it's a question of another tool. Well, there's other benefits there, too, that like going to campus, that might give that mom the little bit of a break, change of environment that she needs to facilitate a better learning situation for her, right? Uh, Go ahead, Eric. I know you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I I just think that it's it's also just a, a weird time to push forward for a brand new modality. I think there's a lot of people who are saying that this is working just by the fact that they're doing it. <laughs> and like, it, I mean, I've been on lots of Zoom calls for uh, elementary school in the background, right? Because I have two kids who are in elementary school. And it seems like on the one hand, the teacher feels like they're doing something productive. But on the other hand, there's minimal engagement. Um, and I think that our students, even though it feels like if you're on a Zoom call and you're talking the whole time and you talk to three people or whatever, and it's live, it feels like something happened. But then those 23 people who either have a blank screen, you know, or just an icon or whatever, like there was very little engagement that actually happened there. So I think kind of to, to Jim and Curry's point before that, like you were considering doing synchronous classes. And I was also considering doing uh, synchronous public speaking classes. And, and that was that was the next evolution after really, really getting good at the asynchronous classes and being able to feel like you could move on from there as opposed to this is the jump from where you were in the classroom into asynchronous. Because I think it, it makes it feel like as an instructor, it's more so the same because you're talking and it's live. But I think that there's a pretty big gap that exists between those two pedagogies. Yeah. Lisa? We might want to think about, because um, we're concerned about doing synchronous, of changing what, what synchronous means. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about changing how, how your asynchronous class might work under these conditions. But we also might want to talk about um, variations from the offering the whole class, the whole hour and 15 minutes in a synchronous mode. I, I participated in the Omni um, Honors Conference that just happened, and they had moved that online. And some days there were recorded presentations, but when the recorded presentation happened, the student who did the presentation was present for Q&A, and that was when everybody would turn on their cameras and do the discussion, maybe for just five, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then then they also had a live day. Friday was also a live day where people actually presented live and there there was that kind of interaction. But what I noticed was, you know, 10 minutes in, in Zoom can be, can be like 10 minutes in class when things are really going well. And if maybe it's the hour, maybe it's the two hours that mom's got trouble with. Right. You know, maybe it's not just the, the synchronous, 
but it's the fact that we're trying to recreate the classroom experience in synchronous and maybe synchronous pedagogy can be adapted and used in, in other ways that make for maybe uh, shorter interactions that are more frequent or something, something like that. Yeah. Mm. The way I understand online or distance education to be defined is um, we as instructors don't have a, we can't make demands on space. We can't say you need to be in this space or visit this space. Um, certainly not at a certain time, but even, you know, going to a museum or going to a performance, like we can't make those kinds of requirements. It's, it's, um, you can access all of this content uh, uh, electronically from a distance. We can't make you go to a space. I feel like one way we're defining remote or emergency instruction is we also cannot necessarily put demands on time even though we are, but we need to really rethink how we put demands on time to the point where my, my deadlines have stopped being a day and they've become a window, right? And so get it in between this and this. If you need more time, let me know. Um, and then also with synchronous, I'm thinking of, okay, the classes I, I, I you know, translated into remote instruction, we had an hour and 50 minutes Mondays and Wednesdays. We're still meeting in Zoom at the same start time, but not for the full hour and 50 minutes. But I'm still assigning an hour and 50 minutes of instructional content, right? Mm -hmm. um, an hour and 15 minutes of it you can do in the Zoom meeting or you can watch the video later. The rest of the time is a workshop you can complete in a window, right? But yeah, so no, I'm, so I'm just thinking of, you know, again, there's the long-term implications of what we can do. And, 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 and hopefully at one point I want to get back to like, what are we been, what are we surprised by? What's really cool about what we're going through and, and what can we shoot for in the future? But Lisa, I really do appreciate this, but we need, we're teaching in an emergency and we're going to still be doing that. Um, we're being asked to, to in the fall adopt a language of online instruction. I still think that we need to be thinking about this sort of remote instruction, not, not because we're going to allow it to just be loose and whatever goes, but to be really effective in it, given the circumstances of where we are. I think that's particularly important because there are a lot of faculty who are deeply unhappy about what they're having to do. I mm. think it's uh, those of us who have been, all of us here, have been doing this online for quite a while. The emergency calls, the, the calls I got when I was on support during those two weeks were from faculty members who were uh, in panic mode, uh, faculty members who were saying, you know, if I wanted to be an online instructor, I would have signed up for that. This yeah. is not at all what I want to do. How can I bail out uh, my class? I mean, it was it was a secondary emergency. It was uh, teachers who who really needed to. They don't want to do this. Yeah. I think we need to have some respect for that. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm very concerned that there might be a push to make everyone become online instructors as we particularly okay. as we move into fall that mm -hmm. there might be some sort of uh insistence that everybody get on board with you know 20 years of online pedagogy here and and figure out how to do this whole thing that's taken many of us years yeah. uh to work on it i i am concerned that we have that sort of middle ground where how about if we just take what you really enjoyed during this emergency period with your students take whatever that was if it was zoom meetings if it was if it was reading their posts if it was whatever it was and make that kind of key to what you're going to do in the fall develop one thing that you really enjoyed during this crazy time that you want to keep going as an instructor i think if we focused on that instead of creating some sort of holistic online teaching mode that everybody's supposed to be in, it would be more realistic and a lot more considerate. 
what what I was going to this kind of linking up to this, but going back to what Lisa was saying before about Omni having the recorded presentations. Uh, the, I mean, that really the ability to record something and then play it back, uh, especially with lectures and, and content like that and, and video is really one of the advantages that online teaching has for students. I mean, if they're watching it once and then they want to pause it and take notes during that section, uh, or if they want to go back and watch it again, or if they want to watch it again when they're studying for an exam later on or something like that, uh, that's really one of the advantages. So it's this interesting, you know, it, the, the synchronous format is cool, but then it's like, okay, well, hopefully it's synchronous and then also asynchronous as well where it's recorded. And hopefully the instructors are starting to think about, okay, if this is something that's recorded, how is this both usable as a tool in the moment, but then also as a tool later on? So it, it starts to come down to different ways of organizing that content too. So then it's more easily able to be navigated by students when they're watching it as, as a replay later on. Uh, it kind of changes the way that engagement happens um, in, in terms of like content blocks and, and then organizing it. And it also has to do with uh, having those those signposts in the, the video where student and really being explicit about how students should be engaging in these asynchronous sessions. I mean, I've, I've been part of some where it's just someone talks for half an hour and then at the end it's like, any questions? <laughs> it's right. like, oh my gosh, no. So, I mean, there were questions, but it was an hour ago or, or whatever. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, being really, really specific, like, okay, so here's, we're going to start and this is how you're going to engage. I'm going to expect, you know, you're, you're going to, in, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to hold up one, two, three, or four in your window uh, for one of these answers that I've, I've got here. Or I've got, you know, or maybe you're using the, the polling option, which I found to actually be a little bit too slow for a classroom. Mm -hmm. I don't know how all of you feel about it. Like, you can kind of have yes or no on there, but by the time everyone enters in, like, 30 responses, it's like a minute's gone by and, and so I've, I've changed that up to where somebody just holds up a one two three or a four in in their box um, or you know if they have something that they can hold up on paper uh, then they'll hold that up as well and they can kind of see each other and then things can kind of keep moving um, and having that engagement in, in like regular repeatable intervals so if you're someone who's there uh, it feels like you can't just I mean, I don't know if some of you have seen these uh, videos where like someone will have a, a video of themselves on the phone that they put on the camera where it then looks like it's somebody just nodding their head over and over again, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and then they can go away and leave or, uh, or you know, some of these other ones with the green screens and stuff. It's, I mean, it's funny, but it's also kind of to the point that like some of these classes just have such little engagement that right. you know, all you really need to be is just a little bobblehead and, and square and then that's what the teacher expects, so. Right. Yeah, and it's like, is it successful because they're there and showing up? I, I, I feel like I, uh, w with the Zoom thing, I, I totally know what you're talking about, Eric, because I feel like I can be entertaining and informative for 75 minutes, but I don't know if they're really learning, right? <laughs> and, and so, that, and there's a big difference there, right? Like being entertaining and informative. Yeah, the students might stay in your class. They might be excited to come to class, but are they learning anything? And so I think that's where the, we have that opportunity with the asynchronous stuff that they can revisit, that you can build in those quizzes, you can do the best practices that we know of in terms of testing frequently um, on those content, on that content, and you can do that in the 
in the video itself. So that's all really helpful. And then class time should be for that engagement, for that, that, that deeper dive on things that where our expertise comes out and you teach them, you know, in letters, how to read a text, right? How, how to break down a speech, how to, um, you know, in, in, I'm thinking about Billy Gunn's classes, how to actually watch a film. And that's totally transformative, right? You can't watch a movie the same way again after taking that class. You can't listen to a speech and, and, and listen to it in the same way after taking your class, right? So that's kind of what we're looking for here is not just to be like, oh, it works because they're showing up, but it works because they're actually learning. And that kind of assessment is also gonna be really difficult now that we are moving from remote emergency to mostly distance ed. Mm-hmm. I think if you want, you could take those and break it down into like four different E's, right? You had uh, entertain is one, you had engage is another, uh, educate is actually giving the content and then also some sort of like empowering, right? So giving them something to do with this content. Um, and if yes. you're kind of thinking about those in each one of the sessions, like how are you, you know, I think entertaining through whatever it is, you know, Sean, however you, you typically are, are entertaining them, but through personal narratives, you know, just through energy, whatever it might be, um, engagement we kind of talked about before, um, empowerment for, for me is just kind of these constant reminders of how are students going to use this content? Like, yeah. what am I, and, and like almost being obnoxious with how often you repeat that sort of thing. This is exactly when you're going to use this skill. This is why this is relevant. So I think if they just hear it over and over again, it becomes uh, much more relevant, and especially in, in contexts like this where you're not right next to them, it feels even more removed. So just that constant reminder Um, And then also helping them put those skills into practice, right? So thinking about situations that they're in. So for the communication classes, right, we get to talk about uh, different things that are going on in society and how nonverbal communication has changed through wearing masks, through distance, through all these sorts of things, and how some of the elements of our class fit directly into into their world. So uh, I don't know. I I think it helps if if you're able to break it down and just uh, almost checking boxes each one of these Zoom sessions. Yeah. See what I mean? We start talking about synchronous pedagogy and how to how to make it better. It's exactly what should should happen as we go into a new mode is that we should be saying, okay, but this kind of works as it is, but but how can we really make it effective? But it's tough, right, Lisa? Because there's this it, it, okay, emergency remote instruction. We can maybe wrap our heads around that, but then is this temporary? Is this long term? You know, there's some serious question marks. I mean, we feel like fall, that has to be the end, right? Like after fall, we can start doing things somewhat in a normal fashion, but we don't know, right? I mean, I, I think a lot of us maybe predicted that this wouldn't last as long as it already has. You're looking, you're looking really thoughtful there, Jim. You want to <laughs> jump in with something? I was really struck by Lisa's astute commentary on how unhappy so many people are teaching in this environment. And I actually would count myself among them. Mm. Um, I have never felt as comfortable online or as effective online as I do in a face-to-face setting. And so I can totally relate to that. And if it turns out this is it, you know, that we're going to be, if, the, if we were going to be online like this forever, I, I would be looking for another job. Uh, but what's exciting about this time is the way we've been challenged to really think about all of our kind of basic teaching moves. And uh, a quick example for me is I just finished the semester by having a poet who taught the book, who wrote the book that we taught for the last two weeks come to class. And when I do that face-to-face, it's always kind of cool. 
It's great to have the poet in the room. They read, the students share. But when I had to do it on Zoom, synchronously, I had to think that whole thing through much more carefully. Mm. I had to prepare the students for it better. I had to prepare the poet for it better. I had to be much more engaged with monitoring what was going on. I had to think about managing the chat with the dynamics of the conversation. That's the growth point that I'm kind of excited about. Mm -hmm. I'm not arguing for a second that the online meeting with the poet is better than the face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that the process of trying to do these things is making me better and helping me really think what I'm trying to accomplish in any modality. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, I think, is really exciting. And then I'd just like to throw out that I, I worry as soon as we get into like these labels that we start talking about classes this way. You know, uh, I don't think any class is synchronous or asynchronous or this or that. I really am excited about the possibilities of hybridity, mm -hmm. that a class is synchronous and asynchronous and all sorts of things in between. Mm -hmm. And and that could be a long-term benefit of this. People who didn't realize the way the things Zoom could do that they maybe can't do in a classroom now can have a little piece of Zoom in their class down the line. Or people who never did online video lectures because they were always going to see the students. What if now they realize, wait, I can be a dynamic lecture in zoom by doing these cool videos that i've discovered i love to make cutting them down to three to five minutes and then having more class time to actually talk with students or have the students talk yeah. so it seems yeah. to me that if we can if we can avoid letting anyone put us in boxes uh, we have a real opportunity for growth here yeah. uh, and that's really important so the, this idea of being put into boxes now that we know that summer and fall are mostly distance ed with the exception of labs and some other activities that may make sense with some spacing in person. What, what do you all think we need to think about? What, what do we need to pay attention to going into this distance ed 95% world? Like we're all, most of what we're doing is now online teaching. Like, you know, we're, we're past an emergency. This is, this is the reality now for the next two terms. What do you think we need to be paying attention to, Lisa? Well, I would say we have to be careful not to ignore the reasons that this is happening, because I think that the mental health of our students and our own ability to concentrate on what we're doing is going to continue to be adversely affected by the situation. In fact, it may even become more of a problem as cities and counties, you know, try to come out of the lockdown and uh, the illness may well spike as a result of that. Right. And so that thinking, uh, one of the things that we really just need to be continually aware of, because I think some of us love teaching so much and whatever the mode is, we just love <laughs> it. And it's an escape for us. Mm -hmm. Our job is in a, in a way other people's job can't necessarily be. For many of us, our job is an escape for us mm -hmm. about all the stuff happening around us. It's a, it's a way to get away from that. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for our students and for a number of our fellow faculty, this isn't the case. And I, I think we need to keep in mind uh, that the emergency or the, um, the, the, the outside world is very much impinging on everybody continually.
Mm-hmm. Trying to be very careful as we as we do this. That's fascinating that you say it's like an escape because I feel that way. I I understand what you mean when you say that. It's an escape for us from all that's happening around us. But all the people in here, I know we report on the things that are happening around us. That's that's part of our job, right? That's part of the education. And so we are still involved with it, but just in a different way, escaping from it to talk about it, I guess. Right. And it seems funny for me to say, you know, what's the first thing we should think about is the first thing we should think about is not forgetting why we're doing this in the first place. But but I, I do see As that a history might... professor. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I, I, I'm just thinking about this myself, but I think I wonder if the appeal is we get to take the outside world into a controlled space and then we empower adults to think about it. And, and they leave our classrooms with light bulbs turned on and that makes us feel really good. When I go back and read the news by myself, I'm crying again, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so are they. That's kind, of, that's kind of my point is that we, maybe we should think about just that we're going into an online teaching world with divided attention on the yeah. part of absolutely everybody. Yeah. And just never lose sight of that. Yeah. And think that a student who's able to sit there and focus for, for 20 minutes, that is a, an achievement. That's that is an amazing thing. Right. And the goal is really of what we're doing is to get people to think about things in more and different ways. And they have enough shit to think about right now, right? Yeah. everything's different and everything's new right now. And, and we're thinking about a ton of things and we're like, well, but you can think about this some more. And let me, let me show you how to, how to think about this some more. And um, that could be beneficial in a lot of ways, but obviously can lead to overwhelm too. Yeah. Well, there's a divide, isn't there, between some faculty who really feel they should bring the whole pandemic issue into their course, change all their readings, change what they're doing to make everything focus on it. And then others who say, no, 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 no. My course is supposed to be an escape from all of that. I want them thinking uh, separately from all of that. I want to give them the space to forget about all that for a while. I mean, Mm. those are the things we might be talking about. Yeah. And it's so interesting when you see how, uh, like, part of you feels like it's such a ubiquitous subject that it, if you don't mention it, it's almost insensitive. Like I've almost considered changing my email signature just to include, um, I hope you're doing well in these challenging times at the top of it, right? Because right. every email is is including, you know, something about these challenging times or these difficult times. And it's like, well, you know, is it cliche at this moment now that I've seen it on 200 different emails or is it something that's still uh, a necessity because it's still the reality of the situation. So it's, it's, it's kind of strange, but kind of going back to, to what Lisa was saying, um, I think that the idea of, of really trying to almost use your imagination about all of the different potential situations that a student could be taking your class from and trying to support and, and use the, the school's resources if possible to support some of the unusual or more difficult ones, I think is a really important, I mean, I think there's the, the faculty element of this, but I think from a student perspective, like we were talking about this the other day, how uh, we, our school does offer free Wi-Fi on campus and you can take classes from your car. But this idea that like that was, I mean, there've been so many emails and I'm sure every school is doing this where there's a, a thousand different links and, a, you know, all this information and all of it's important. Right. But like, it's hard to grasp, especially if you're a student whose you know, school is important, but there's all this life stuff going on and then you're not going to read through and click on every email link and all this stuff. So things like that, where, okay, if a student needs to 
have quiet space. Like I have a lot of students who will deliver speeches directly from their cars. Uh, they're in their car delivering a speech for an assignment, uh, recording that on video and then uploading it. And, you know, having support services as a school where it's like, okay, park here. This is exactly what it looks like when you're there. If we have 30 students who are taking different classes from their cars, showing those students what that looks like, right? And, and figuring out ways kind of, you know, that just as, as one example, but figuring out ways to support students where, okay, this is unpredictable, but here's something that didn't exist before that actually could potentially help support some of those situations. Because um, it's, I think right now there's, there's a lot of solutions but I think there's so much information, it's hard for both faculty and students to just decide what to do, right? It's like, do I do everything? Well, I can't do everything and I've got all this other stuff that I need to do. So I'm not gonna do any of this school stuff. I'm gonna do just like the, you know, the mandatory stuff and then move on to, to the other mandatory things in my life with my family and with you know, anything else with my work and, and just trying to move forward. So I think it's about figuring out how do students, how do we figure out how students have these unique situations and support those and trying to because when you don't talk to people face to face it's you don't get the same sense of what's going on right like with with those sorts of needs i am um, so i stole this directly from jim the beginning of this semester i i started beginning every class at the meeting um, highlighting a resource that I thought was relevant to that particular moment. And again, this was because the only reason I did this was because Jim and I were talking at the beginning of the semester, what cool new things are you going to do? This is something that Jim said, you know, he, he's going to do. And it, it, we already had that kind of habit at the beginning. And it was things like, you know, think about the writing center. There's some scholarships coming up, um, you know, whatever it was. Um, but after the pandemic, it was, do you know about, you know, electing for no, pass, no pass? Do you know about this, you know, um, uh, excuse withdrawal process? Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Jim, can, have you, uh, how's that been working in your class this semester? Yeah, we've been doing it. That, I, I do it right before, uh, actually do it right after the, before or after the break. I take a few minutes and talk about something on campus that, is a resource that students can use. And yeah, we, we kept that practice going um, through, through the, the, the switch. And I, I think it's a good thing to do. And I think it's a good investment of time. You know, just a five minute blast to talk about what's connecting out there. But I think even a bigger thing is that I've gotten out of this is how important it is that, that students have a chance to express themselves in our classes. So I think one of the things that has, has been really positive for me is I've just established a custom of everybody says something at some point. Yeah. Just making sure that everybody speaks to the group at some point about whatever. Typically low stakes stuff, but gets their voice out into the ether. And I, and I thought that was an interesting thing that happened in my last class when we invited the poet to class. In a regular classroom, I've done it many times, I don't think I've ever successfully gotten every single student to contribute. But in Zoom, I was able to. Huh. Uh, and, and every single student shared a poem from the poet that they enjoyed. The poet then read the poem. And then the poet and that student had a conversation that everybody huh. chimed in on. Yeah. I mean, it was an incredibly dynamic thing. And I, I realized that's a ridiculously idealized situation. But the values from that, the idea of engagement, they were highly engaged, the idea of getting their voices on a table in a situation where they weren't being tested 
or assessed, but they were just being encouraged to share and engage. I got to try to think of more ways to do stuff like that. Yeah. And, and Jim, it's, it's a great idea. And then also it's something that could potentially fall totally flat and be a, a, a time where 29 of your 30 students are sitting there waiting for your turn for an hour, right? And then they said something and then they checked their box and they were listening with one ear and not the other and doing something else. And so it's, it's if done right, it's dynamic. And if done poorly, it's a waste of everyone's time, except for maybe two minutes of the entire, you know, 30 minutes or an hour. So it's, it's an interesting balance of like, how do you, how do you get everyone involved without having everyone but one person waiting, <laughs> right? So, and, and maybe the, the breakout rooms are, are one way to kind of do it, right? That's something, but it's, it's an interesting, like, how, how, I think, and that's part of, like, as you get, as we all get better with some of these tools, I think that's something that probably comes out of it is the ability to navigate through these conversations and these classroom discussions in ways that are more, I don't know, sophisticated and productive. And it sounds like you were able to do that, but I don't think everybody well, can. Well, that, that, I mean, that's exactly right. Those are the kind of challenges. What was interesting about this situation is yeah, I was worried it would become 24 mini lectures, you know, 24 separate conversations that the rest of us were passive listeners. But what started to happen is the students got excited about each other's excitement, you know, and that started to spin off all sorts of engagement. And then there was all this whole other conversation over in the chat. Right. And it just got me thinking, how do I bring that in? Now, you talked about something that I think is a real important tool getting a dynamic going between smaller and larger discussions in synchronous spaces. And that's very much something that I want to be continue to get better at face-to-face -face as well, right? How do I have small group discussions that then segue into larger group discussions that get multiple voices engaged, right? I mean, these are the problems we have, the challenges we face face-to-face -face and synchronously that I think are, are uh, exciting to uh, be thinking about, but they're also really daunting and complex, as you say. Yeah. You think one of the reasons that it was so effective was because they had that history together, like compared to a traditional online class where they hadn't met face-to-face -face and spent that time, or, or do you think that that had anything to do with it? Uh, yeah, that goes back to Lisa's original point, right, about how much had been done before we got there. Yeah, there's a face-to-face -face class. They were already used to talking to each other. They already knew each other. Um, and, and, and so I think it, I think it really worked for them. And, and I guess I'm not trying to say, Hey, let's do this kind of activity. Right. I'm just trying to kind of extract from that moment. Yeah. What should I be looking for? Right. I'm trying to, okay. So how can I, how can I find ways to engage the students that get them talking to each other, that get them talking to the group as a whole? How can I segment things? How can I use asynchronous and synchronous tools to do those kind of things? I'm sort of trying to extract what are the pedagogical values from this that I can then make kind of a foundation and then go back out and start applying in different contexts. It's just kind of the way I've been thinking. I'm not arguing that's, you know, the, the golden path. Yeah, but what you're doing goes exactly along with what I was saying about you take this one thing about your teaching that you do, that you're passionate about, and that's the thing you're focusing on developing. That's and right. so for you, it's clearly discussion. For me, it's engagement with the material mm -hmm. and the documents and trying to find ways to encourage that. But it's the exact same thing that we do in the classroom. You know, what that's do we right. put at the forefront 
of of what we do and to just i think for this these semesters coming up when things are still very very uncertain focusing on that one thing mm -hmm. will make it clearer to students what the expectations are for the class clearer to the faculty member who doesn't really want to do this and try to do 15 things at once and juggle all the balls while we're doing everything else just to focus on one cool thing that you do that you love doing that maybe it worked during this emergency situation that really got you going and made you happy and and focus on somehow making that central to what you do in summer and fall yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree totally with that lisa when 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 sean was asking the question you know what 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 should we be thinking about i almost sort of felt like actually we need less we thinking and more each individual discovering and recentering <laughs> <laughs> you know and i i, I completely agree with everything uh -huh. you just said and, and i just want to also throw out your interest the way you teach history is really influenced the way I teach literature. I do so much focus around curating now, mm. where students are discovering poems and stories and artists and then sharing it out. And that is such a, an interesting activity, curating, because it works great face-to-face, -face, and it works really great in Zoom, where they can share their screens and share resources. So I think that when we share our passions with each other, we enrich each other with new tools because I didn't know anything about curating until you taught it to me. Curating was something I was never doing. Now it's a core for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think the most exciting conversations we can be having right now are not conversations about what we should all be thinking or what we should all be doing, but what each individual one of us is particularly passionate about. And as we hear those passions and those abilities, we start pulling stuff and say, oh my, that, oh wow, you know. Yeah, and yeah, I, think but I think that shows where the we thinking needs to be, right? The we thinking needs to be on empowering the individual instructors to do the things that they are most comfortable and they think is going to be the best for their students in their class. So that's kind of where the we thinking, what I'm hearing you saying, that that's where it should be in making sure that we are encouraging the same level of academic freedom as we would if we had the same mix of um, course modalities as we had before. Yeah, but also sharing out our gifts. Yes, you, you know, like the the, the the goal shouldn't be to get everybody to be able to do certain things. The goal should be to get everybody sharing what they're coolest at, yeah. and then we all pick from that treasure box. You know, yeah. the things yeah. that we can really do exciting things. With. And and I think Jim, that's to your point, right? That you know, before we were talking about we thinking, your your me thinking. Is, is actually based off of Lisa, right? So it's yeah. not your original idea. It was her, yeah. her me thinking that was being shared out to you, which was then inspiring to you, which then you took ownership of and then developed it further as your own, uh, as your own pedagogy. So, you know, I got to tell you, I'm a little envious of those people, Lisa, that you know, that don't, that they know for sure they don't want to do this. <laughs> I, I, I wish I was that sure, you know, because I, I have that feeling of like, when we first started, okay, this is what we're doing. I've taught online before. I went in with too much confidence, right? <laughs> and, and when I went in, I was doing the breakout rooms and we were doing the individual quizzes and the group quizzes and everything was go. Yes, it was just, and, and I was very much impressed with myself. I was like, look at this, I can do it, right? And, and of course I had James helping me, so it's not really me alone doing it. But then uh, with all of that, there, you know, a couple of weeks in, I was like, I'm, I'm burned out. Like this is, 
I just tried to recreate everything and I tried to impress everybody, probably myself more than anybody else. And I accomplished that. And now I'm tired and I don't want to do this anymore. And I think the faculty that I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I think the faculty I spoke to who don't want to do that hit that wall almost immediately in the first several days of trying to even set this up before they'd even gone back with their students, just trying to figure out how to do it was so daunting that they were exhausted before we even started. Yeah. And I'd really like to see some sort of understanding of that and efforts to, to prevent that, mm-hmm. which is why I'm encouraging just the focus on the one thing you, you did like. Don't worry too much. Be, give your students some slack. Give yourself some slack. This is hard. And if you don't want to do it or you're not sure you want to do it, you really feel like you don't have a choice, that adds this whole other level. So what can you find within that that is a little bit inspiring, a little bit encouraging, and makes you say, yeah, I can not only do this, I can do this all semester. And, and one of the things... Do a that, workshop on that. The one thing. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever read that book? The One Thing? It's by, <laughs> written by the guy who started Kelly Williams Realty. It's a fantastic book. No, it It talks about working on one, like kind of a core thing and getting really good at that. And then it it leads to uh, the other elements getting better on peripheral. Not original. Oh, no. Uh, No, but (laughs) it's a great book. (laughs) So within that one thing, if if I can like pull a thread out of some earlier conversations, um, I, I hear this reoccurring word segments, right? So I think there's the one thing that we're doing this semester that's really good. But then I also hear us talking about teaching in segments. And, and, it, and, and we've talked about it um, um, in terms of, Eric, you said the phrase content blocks. And I think that's, that's really descriptive of online uh, effective practices. You chunk content and you try to sequence it in a way that either small things build up to larger concepts or, you know, you kind of, you pace things. So it's, it's a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there. So there's lots of ways to chunk or build content blocks. But then the other phrase we're using is um, kind of repeatable processes, almost like like a recursive relationship between this block and this block, right? And so one thing I think I'm gonna be thinking about going forward is, is in addition to the one thing that worked really well, I also wanna reflect on that one thing and identify how did it chunk? Or if I wasn't aware of how, where its chunks were, can I go back and find how it was chunked out? Um, and where was the recursive kind of experiences I was building into this? Was this something that worked really well because we repeated it every week and that was sort of the recursive experience we had with it? Um, or was there something inside of it, right, that allowed for that kind of, you know, be exposed to an idea, question that idea, get, allow the idea to totally slip away from you, but then come back because of some other thing, you know, uh, and, then, and then through that process, uh, 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 feel confident and certain about how to build that idea um, and, and articulate it on your own. Um, and I think, yeah, so, um, and, and like, again, I, I don't want to be overly prescriptive about that, but I think just that, again, it, you know, for me, something really, really descriptive of online practice, online pedagogy is that sort of segmenting, right? And I think that's something that online instructors do really well. I think it's also something we do really well on site. And, and I think we probably are not always aware of it. And what really helps us with it is we look out at, you know, all these eyeballs that are blinking at us and we realize that was the end of that segment. I've got to restart and shift to another one. And I think we're very sort of agile with that in the classroom. Um, I think if we spend the summer just sort of reflecting on it, becoming aware of it, we might be able to see ways to build it in online as well. I, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is exactly the same as classroom teaching. I mean, I can't think of any subject that we've touched on so far right. 
that isn't completely pertinent and is what people think about when they when they teach in the classroom pretty much everything right. chunking information getting engagement uh looking out there and and seeing who's involved getting like like jim likes to do getting everybody to talk and all those kinds of things exact same thing that we do in the classroom right it's the 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 way we do it and the um the goals we have aren't that different Right. I think the organizing of the content, a lot of that sometimes evolves over time, right? I think it might evolve a little bit faster in, in the classroom because you've got the feedback loop that's a little bit closer to you. Yes. But one of the things that uh, I've I really, so as someone who teaches the public speaking classes where there's so much uh, need for comfort and uh, overcoming nervousness and just feeling at ease in order to even be able to perform the skill. One of the things that's, that I've really been trying to develop it with all of this has been, it's, it's not as much of a process type thing. It's just this feeling of how do you feel extremely safe in an online space um, with everything that's going on? And not not like in a discussion board. That's not really what I'm talking about. It's not like about having students being respectful. That's really not what I, I mean. It's about how do you feel like with everything crazy going on in the world, how do you engage in a classroom that requires uh, a lot of personal vulnerability? Um, and because I think that it feels a little different than it did before. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's probably some, so some of the things that, that I really try to avoid or that I'm trying to avoid is feeling like where it's one person talking to many for a long time because it feels distant. Right. So I think Jim kind of to your point before of having those discussions is helpful, but also little things like addressing emails, not like, Hey everyone, Mm -hmm. but it would be like, um, I'm so glad that you are reading this email, right? So instead of having plural type writing, having everything being singular, even though it is to a a group, Mm -hmm. I don't know, just I, I, that's one of the things that I'm really trying to, to figure out. It's like, how do you make students feel that personal connection when everything else around them is is kind of falling apart? Yeah, and even even in sort of boilerplate comments to assignments, have right before the comma slip in their name, right? So, hey, great work, blank. I'm, I'm basically copying and pasting that into almost everybody's assignment. But like you said, when they see their name there, even a couple times in that, that feedback, suddenly it's, it's for me, right? And I, I feel this sort of, uh, like you said, just more comfortable in that space, yeah. You've, you've mentioned emails a couple times, Eric. I just want you to know none of your emails are finding me well. <laughs> there, was, there was actually, somebody wrote a poem of all the, all the introductions to emails that everybody's using. You know, so all the, you know, hope to find you well during these difficult times. And they made it difficult times. page times. of these, of <laughs> the these salutations, things. right? Yeah, the... exactly. And one of the cool things I saw pointed out by historians was that if you go back to um, letters from, say, uh, cholera epidemics, uh-huh. and you look at them, the first line of the letters is very similar to what everybody's doing now in the emails. It's, it's always like, I hope to find you well during these difficult times. It's the, it's the exact same phrasing in that it becomes sort of a, a social habit that you really mustn't start a communication with somebody else in writing without acknowledging uh-huh. what's happening, that you just sort of do that because you can't be sure if they're well and you can't be sure if they're okay. And so you you always mm. want to put that out there first yeah. um, and that we're doing that now. They were seeing a connection between these letters from the past that they said, boy, I always wondered why everybody started their email in 18, I mean, their letter in 1856 with, you know, <laughs> and your family are doing well in these difficult times. Yeah. Now I know. <laughs> yeah. Please find, please find literally and physically attached 
whatever it is, right? Very cool. Yeah, I've been doing the salutation, um, stay well for like 10 years and everybody just finally caught up. So I'm happy. Way better now. Yeah. Before I didn't get it now. (laughs) Trendsetter. Now you do, right? You see? Just had to wait for it a little bit, Eric. Ahead of the game. Okay. Let's hear it to you by Ariana Grande. Wow. Oh. <laughs> uh, Sean, was that's, there a, that's a new thing for the show. That's never happened. Yeah, was, that's true. <laughs> I thought I was talking to it. What was it? It was my phone. Your phone was talking to you about Ariana Grande? It thought I was saying, I, I want to hear that now. And I oh. had witnesses. I didn't say that. <laughs> but it, then it was like, this is, this is what you want now. Here. Sounds like it's accessing a previous search history to me. <laughs> do, do we have to pay royalties? That was under the second limit, right? <laughs> Time will tell. Well, well, thank you all for being yeah. here today. Did you have something to end on, Curry? No, no. I was just going to say, I think we that was an excellent conversation. We we're all so earnest, though. Yeah. Yeah. Very low humor, you know, compared to the other podcasts. I mean, we're all terribly earnest about this. Well, it all seems terribly important. Sean, I mean, I mean, Jim, you were supposed to say fuck a lot more often. <laughs> I don't think we got one out of you. And not a single fuck. I am so fucking sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get him mad enough is the problem. <laughs> I don't know about you folks, but for me, this kind of conversation is difficult because it gets my mind spinning. Yeah. So Lisa and Eric are saying these amazing things, and I'm off to the races with those ideas, thinking now, how will I use that in 201? Right. Well, you- and then before I know it, Curry is like, Jim, Jim, turn your mic on. Me <laughs> <laughs> too, Jim, with all your stuff about, oh, have everybody have to say one thing, and I'm thinking, I'm going, do you have to keep track of that? Should I keep looking? Yeah. No, you don't have to keep track of that. You just say yeah. that you're keeping track. Yeah. You just say assume yeah. that, and so that's just not. And I'm yeah. doing all this, you know, I'm yeah. planning off a gym here. Yeah. So what I can do is, because I'm thinking, you know, I've been looking at the synchronous thing, because I don't do synchronous usually, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to do, I'm going to feel obligated to do my office hours uh, this way, and I thought that may be a way that some people could could start with synchronous is just sure. do your office day, you know, get used to yourself on camera, get used to seeing your students, get used to communicating this way. Maybe start with your office hours and that kind of thing. But now I'm thinking about, I feel that there was an expectation on the part of my students, not the ones from, not just the ones from my onsite class, but the ones from my online classes that were already running, that yeah. I was going to do something synchronous. Huh. <laughs> I felt like there was this expectation that I was going to do Something, even though nothing had been planned for the yeah. entire course. Yeah. And, and it's kind of, so I'm feeling like a little pressure that I need to do something. So I'm listening very carefully what Jim's saying about <laughs> ways to do that, because I don't usually do that. So yeah. Lisa, let me, so I, I've done a ton of online office hours and I've had a, an evolution of like what I shouldn't do and what I should do. And I remember when I first started doing it, I would, it's like, here's the link. And then I would sit there in my office and like try and do work and think somebody was going to show up. And it's like being on they like on, on some sort of like reality TV show with somebody with a camera like right in your face. And like, okay, natural. And then nobody shows up and you barely get any work done for like an hour. So like one of the things that I've ended up doing is uh, just doing a review of all the different courses, right? So going into Canvas and, and you're recording it and then you post that. And if somebody shows up, cool. And if they don't, fine. Um, ideally they do, but like if, if they don't, then you're creating these little mini, 
uh, just reviews of what's going on for the week or coming up in the next two weeks. And then you're getting out of there. So like if nobody shows up in the first couple of minutes, you do that. And then they didn't show up. So you're available after that. But then you're no longer uh, live on camera right. ready for a drop in because <laughs> I've spent a lot of weird, awkward hours. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing. I'm available all the time. And I've been using Google Chat with now a Google Meet, I guess for years and years and told students, you know, and I used to try to put the little button in with the code that showed whether I was online. So they could just click the button and talk to me anytime because I don't need to have a set office hour, man. I'm at this machine. I am here. So just pop in and talk to me. And it's, it's, they haven't made the technology any easier for us to do that. Right. There's no way to indicate in our, in Canvas that I'm open here in Zoom. I'm right. hanging, come on over. Um, they haven't made it easy to, to do this at all, to have something where students can just click because they know you're there already. Yeah. So they've got their question or whatever, and they just yeah. click, and there you are. And they can just talk to you, like picking up a phone and calling you. Yeah. Yeah. Zoom, Zoom isn't there, but like there are things like Cranium Cafe where you can like have a card and it shows if you're available or not. And they can kind of just knock, knock on your door, right? And, and then you can get into a meeting with them from that. But Zoom is kind of taken over in terms of what we use on the instructional side of things. Yeah. And Canvas doesn't have a way, you know, we're putting all this stuff in Canvas and there's, there's no way to, I mean, maybe Cranium Cafe, is there a way to put a bit of code in on your homepage or in an announcement or somewhere where they can see you're there? Some code in to make it so you've got that thing that Sean was talking so you've about. you've got the thing, the, okay. It's either the red light or the, the green light. The right. counseling office has it. If you just go on one of the counseling pages, you'll see the card on there. Okay. Yeah, right. Like they do with the librarians too, although mm -hmm. the library one is a bit trickier, but... But yeah, it would be nice to not to just be there and then you don't have to be sitting there figuring out what you're going to do for an hour. Another strategy I've used that that's really helped with my sort of synchronous meetings, and I, I can see you doing this as a sort of an office hour, um, is to first of all pick a time in the semester when there's like a significant project coming up or there's just information that they want to know and then replace some routine assignment with that synchronous meeting so like normally you could have a discussion or you could annotate this reading in hypothesis or whatever it normally is it's worth this many points um but but next tuesday uh you can either sign up to hang out with me and we'll do that stuff together getting ready for the exam or getting ready for the essay whatever it is or you can do the normal thing which will lead you in the same direction you'll just do it on your own. And that, I've, I've found that, number one, just that compelling timing, that I want to know this, so I want to be there with the, and I don't have to do this other thing I normally do, that, that gets students in the space and, and can really help too. And it connects to what they call just-in-time learning. Right? Exactly. That's right. You don't want to know. I've got, I put my students through a whole learning unit, a step-by-step -step learning unit before they write a paper. Yeah, but yeah. this could replace that exactly pretty easily, mm -hmm. and then it would be just in time learning because instead of the learning being something they just have to complete before they work on the paper, now they're ready to write the paper, and now's when they need that information, not and last week when they won't remember it, but now. Yeah, exactly. And get, getting getting your you know your feet in the water with synchronous learning that seems like an easy way to do it too. You've already got this thing set up that scaffolds a thing at the right time during the semester you just sort of riff on that in Zoom, um, but you also allow folks to do the other things. So, it, you know, you kind of cover your bases. And I like that. So I'll steal that from you. The only reason. I think, I think one interesting way to think about this whole experience is imagine how would various professors at Hogwarts have negotiated this? That's true. Yeah. Oh, what, what would, 
what would Professor Bins have done? Mm. <laughs> what, 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 would, what, what would Snape do? How would Snape teach? Snape wouldn't do much. Snape would teach like this. <laughs> like this in Zoom. That's right. That's one of the things that camp. causes Zoom fatigue, you know. The fact that our faces are so big is part of what causes Zoom fatigue because the biological response is to back away. <laughs> I read a really cool article on Zoom fatigue by a psychologist and how, why this happens and why, why you just can't take it anymore. And that's one of them. It's got the big head. Yeah. It's basically summed up in the sentence, I'm tired of your face. That's what it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I always, you know, I wore really big hat sizes and just generally like in real life have a big head. So maybe that's why people just get tired of <laughs> back, up, back way up. And Jim, of course, has all these costumes, right? That'll help because they won't get as fatigued. It'll be a variety, It'll yeah. Be a variety, It'll be a change. It's all about hats. Awesome. Thanks, Dude, everybody. Perfect. Right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys, so much. Right. Really Bye. appreciate your Thanks time, for expertise, collaboration. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Enjoy finals week and and beyond. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> that was for you, Jim. <laughs> that was Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> y'all. Thank Bye. you. See ya. This episode was produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia created the show notes and manages our social media. Episodes of the Safe Topics podcast are now available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please download and subscribe. Thank you for listening.